0: And welcome, friends, to the ninth episode of the very unofficial AICP podcast. I am Jonathan Miller, and thank you all so much for sticking around and joining me every week, really. I hope everyone enjoyed their weekends, broke into fall with something pumpkin-flavored, if that's your thing, and found some time to study a little bit for the upcoming exam. You have T-minus 42 days and counting, y'all. Last week, we talked about two of the major developments that were pivotal in allowing the westward expansion, the Erie Canal, and the National Road. This week, we're picking up with a watershed moment in planning. No, not those watersheds. I'm talking about the notorious tenements and the ensuing backlash of sorts. At least, looking at it that way is a great way to try and remember it all. So, why wait? Let's just jump on in. Imagine the 1850s in New York City. People are everywhere, housing is scarce, and sanitation isn't the greatest. If you weren't aware, the early 1800s, specifically about 1820 to 1860, marked a period of massive immigration. I'm talking population doubling every 10 years in New York. The immigrants during this time span were mostly Germans and Irish. In fact, it was about 5 million Germans, uh, and of all of the immigrants in this time span, one-third of those were estimated to be Irish Catholic. All of those immigrants, or rather just the sheer volume of people coming to New York, pushed housing to the limits, and frankly, the single-family homes just weren't enough. They needed density in housing, and what did they first build in 1855, wink wink? Uh, the first model tenement. Now, it turns out around this time, many of the more, uh, well-to-do New Yorkers moved north, leaving behind their old row houses. These row houses, then, ended up being converted into tenement apartments where multiple families would live. At the same time, seeing the need, several model tenements were built, brand spankin' new. One of the first of these new builds, called the Big Flat, was constructed by, and I swear I'm not making this up, the Association for Improving the Condition of the Poor. The Big Flat was six stories and, in fact, was the largest tenement until the 1880s and was restricted only to African American families. Most tenements that were built around this time followed the same script, five to seven stories with a building footprint of usually almost the entire lot, which at the time would have been about 20 feet wide and 100 feet long typically. Now it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that if the building is taking up the entire lot and the tenement next to them is taking up the entire lot, then there really isn't much space between the two, is there? No, there isn't. These tight quarters made it so really the only rooms facing the street got any light, or fresh air. I say fresh air because these tenements weren't exactly constructed with a lot of integrity. In fact, later real estate and tenement speculators built new tenements with really cheap materials and construction shortcuts, uh, making them even worse than they were to begin with. It's almost like without any building codes and regulations, developers could just build whatever garbage they wanted. Hmm. But I digress. Anyways, no fresh air. And this was definitely a problem. A lot of these tenements, like we talked about, were made for single families, not multiple families. So the buildings weren't equipped to handle the extra capacity, especially when you realize that to accommodate even more families, they started stacking extra floors on the existing ones. More importantly, though, sanitation at that time just wasn't where it is now. For example, sewer pipes would often clog and or freeze in the winters, which would cause massive backups. I mean, New York was seriously filthy. Like, standing water and waste. Wait, there's no need to be prude about it to soften the blow? Shit. There was shit in the streets, in the cracks of the cobblestones. It was that kind of filthy. So... How did it get so bad, and why didn't anyone do anything about it? Well, that's a little outside of our scope here, but in short, there were lots of rich, more tenured citizens that blamed immigrants and poor people, and corrupt politicians just refused to do anything about it. Uh, Side note, if you live under a rock and haven't yet already, please watch The Gangs of New York with DiCaprio and Daniel Day-Lewis. It takes place in The Five Points, that's a real place, in 1862, that's a place in what's now Lower Manhattan, uh, and it was a hot spot for the tenements. They actually did a really good job making life in New York in 1862 pretty accurate. Uh, the draft riots in the movie, that was a real thing too, uh, and that was actually exacerbated by the squalid living conditions. Plus, Dana Day-Lewis just does an amazing job with this character, and look out for the quote that the title of this episode was actually taken from. Back to reality though, how did New York respond to the increasingly garbage conditions that came from these model tenements, which were first built in 1855, wink wink. Well, eight years after the first model tenement was built, the conditions were noticeably terrible. So terrible that a group of citizens met with the mayor to talk about it, I mean, along with other issues too. Uh, And a year later, the Citizens Association of New York was formed. Now, since these citizens had half a brain, they realized that they weren't exactly well-qualified themselves to judge sanitation and pursue changes in that arena. Um, In fact, they were so smart that they put together a special council of hygiene and public health and brought physicians on board to do the inspections and survey the streets and households. And in May of 1864, the Council of Hygiene and Public Health of the Citizens Association of New York started a campaign of inspecting New York streets and households on a street-by-street basis. To do that, they broke the city up into 31 districts, and, like I said, street-by-street, they inventoried and took notes on every household in Manhattan. Here are just a couple of the stories uh, from their findings from the New York Academy of Medicine's Center for History. One story talks about an Irish family of three who probably all had typhoid fever. They lived in an apartment with six families and six rooms with two windows and were close enough to a horse stable that the horse would apparently wander into their hallway. Another story even talks about a building called Gotham Court where there was only 275 cubic feet, not square feet, cubic feet of space per person. That's a space that's uh, about 5 feet by 5 feet uh, and 11 feet tall. Uh, I know people with closets bigger than that. Oh, and that includes space for all of their belongings, too. Anyways, this report was the start of the conversation. Surrounding building codes, sanitary inspections. It was even partly responsible for the creation of the Board of Health. Unfortunately, this was not the end of the tenement. This was just the start of the evolution of the tenement, but we will pick back up on that in a couple of episodes. Now at the same time that residents were getting frustrated with the uh, just plain nasty conditions of the city, there was a growing sentiment that tied parks and open air to health, and it wasn't inaccurate. The tenements provided cramped living conditions and no fresh air, and subsequently saw epidemics of smallpox and typhoid fever. And as a result, the rich folks wanted out. So, Q. Frederick Law Olmsted. I won't go into too much detail about him, but in general, Frederick Law Olmsted, the father of landscape architecture, spent his life trying to incorporate natural landscapes into urban living. Olmsted's belief was pretty consistent throughout his life. Uh, urban cities needed parks and nature. He even went so far as to say that symptoms of cities were quote nervous tension, over anxiety tasteful disposition, impatience, and irritability, unquote. So it's no wonder that he was on board with a sentiment that was brought out in the 1840s for a grand park in New York. Olmsted supported the idea in order to provide a clean air refuge for residents uh, to satisfy the rich and to help the poor. And in 1857, after he and his partner Calvert Vox won the design contest, Central Park was built. So after Central Park, the two became very well known. It's no wonder then that when a businessman named Emery Childs purchased 1600 acres west of Chicago, that he reached out to Olmsted and Vox to design the community. So using his park ideals and pastoral design theories, Olmsted designed what is arguably the first suburb and the first unofficial Garden City. Now don't get at all confused, Riverside is not technically part of the Garden City movement. That didn't officially start until 1898. But Riverside does share a lot of the same characteristics. Uh, writing back to his wife, Olmsted said, quote, The city, as yet, has no true suburb in which urban and rural advantages are agreeably combined. Unquote. So, in his design, the entire community centered around a main train station, which provided easy access to Chicago. There was a reserved block for commercial uses, but that's really where the urban stops. The main feature in Riverside? The distinguishing characteristics, if you will, was the curvilinear streets. Olmsted and Vox designed the roads to follow the contours of the land and intentionally avoided right-angle intersections with the goal of creating open spaces for recreation and parks and to provide scenic areas for all residents. It was also really the first that incorporated an idea of how the private properties shaped the public realm. He wanted to avoid the walls which made stark delineations of properties common in England at the time, and instead insisted on soft lines like hedges and fences because to him the area between the houses and the streets provided a sort of transitional space. So what did we learn today in very short terms tenement housing sucks and some people knew it and did something about it in longer terms immigration put a lot of stress on new york which resulted in tenement housing some concerned citizens then formed a group to investigate just how crappy it was in order to maybe get some solid ground rules in place And seeing the disgusting nature of New York during the time, Olmsted planned for parks that provided the natural settings as a way to provide a healthier lifestyle. And subsequently, he helped design one of the first true suburbs, all on the principle that parks and open spaces would allow a healthier way of life, and that everyone deserved a piece of that. And there you have it almost everything you ever wanted to know about tenements, how citizens mobilized against them, and how the development of parks and communities changed, at least in part, because of it, at least as far as the AICP exam might be concerned. I know we didn't touch on everything about tenements, and yes, in a couple of episodes we will hit on the Dumbbell Tenement, uh, Jacob Reese, and his book, and the New York State Tenement House Law. But if you want to know more about these topics, feel free to reference the show notes for the links to the information that we used to put this together, or just Google around a bit and explore. For those of you who tuned in last episode, our question was, in what city and what year was the National Road completed? If you didn't guess it already, the National Road was completed in 1839 in Vandalia, Illinois. For anyone wanting to play along this week, my question to you is, in what year was the first model tenement built? It's an easy one. Well, thank you for tuning in again. As always, all of the links I use to put this together can be found in the show notes. And if you have any questions or topic suggestions, general questions, whatever, just email me and send me a message on the website, Instagram or Facebook, whatever, and let me know. Remember, if you have a question, other people probably have the same one. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use for podcasts or the show's website so you can follow along with future episodes, help prepare for the exam, and supplement all of your other study regimens, and share this out with any planners you know who might be interested. And as a favor to me, if you want to, leave a review and rating. It not only helps me, but in all honesty, it will help people know if this is something that might help them or not make sure you tune in next week. We're switching back gears again to our continued land settlement of the West, primarily the Homestead Act, Morrill Act, and the formation of the U.S. Geological Survey. Not as fun as today, of course, but those are going to be really important to set up the episode that follows, but you'll have to stick around to hear more about those. Thanks again, everyone. Until next time.